Smegheads, and welcome to Smugmo, the Red Dwarf podcast where we discuss the British cult sci-fi comedy classic Red Dwarf. I'm Ben Gilman, and I'm joined by someone who's very happy to show you his double polaroids. It's Tom Hill. And I'm also joined by someone who keeps blowing out the lights because he's trying to blow dry his hair. It's Dan Rudge. Actually, it knocked out the entire desk this time. We were having that work on uh, Troy's issue with the black hole. Uh, he's back next week. Uh, I've spoken to NASA again, and um, we're having him back next week. Lovely. So, oh, <laughs> what did it turn out to be then? It's just we've got him. We've got like a big fishing rod, and we've grabbed him. It just takes a long time to bring him back in from outer space, so it's going to take about a week. I'm literally just trying to figure out how large a fishing rod you're going to need from Earth to black hole in space and through. The tensile strength on that thing must be um, quite decent. Yeah, it's made out of big, really hard carbon. Um, So today we're we're talking about season four, episode two, DNA. Smug mode is now engaged. So this episode, a quick summary. Uh, the Red Dwarf crew investigates an alien spaceship that is drifting deep space. They discover a DNA modifier, which to um, a, gen- a genetic altering machine that alters all organic life, which uh, turns Crichton into a human, Lister into a chicken, uh, and a curry monster made from Lister's curry. So, what do you guys think of this one? Yeah, I'm a fan of this one. I love it. It's great. It's much better than last week's one. Um, um, from, the, from the very first point where you see that they're sort of like, they've docked up with this UFO thing. And it looks like a light bulb. A spaceship. From the outside. On the inside, it looks like a GCSE art class has been given the gymnasium and told to do an installation based on the works of H.R. Geiger. Well, you, you know the reason why it looks so shoddy? Why? Because it was actually the last one they filmed and they were running out of money. And they didn't have enough money to put together a better set. We are talking Doctor Who 80s style in terms yeah. of... Yeah, <laughs> looking tacky. Yeah, but that's just because they actually were running really low on funds for the set. Hey, I'm not saying I disliked it. No, it's, it's got a proper grungy it's feel. I like it. Red Dwarf. It's, it's brilliant. Okay. Oh, yeah, so, I'm not knocking it, I'm just saying the reason that it looks the way it does i did the big the first big funny scene is um obviously the cat running around with um keeps knocking up the console because he wants to dry his hair while they're trying to trying to locate the spaceship mm-hmm. you guys forget this one well they're all busy working and suddenly the whole thing gets turned off because he's doing his hair <laughs> yeah but would a hairdryer really blow out all the no, light? He, no, I think the whole point was he unplugged the console to plug in the hairdryer. I mean, I've got a problem with this scene because Lister tells him to use one of the side plugs. The wall sockets, yeah. Yep, and he does go and use a wall socket and it still blows out the console. It doesn't blow out the console, it's just so loud it annoys the hell out of them. Okay. It's so noisy they can't hear themselves. So... It also dims the lights, so it does do a sort of That's a brown. Where I've made my mistake. I do apologise. But 
for this scene, again, I think I've said this before about Red Dwarf, but whenever they do this kind of stuff, it reminds me an awful lot of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> that same scene, that one where they're above the planet Magrathea and they're trying to do evasive maneuvers to get away from missiles coming directly at them, but the computer is busy trying to figure out how to make this drink that this Englishman calls tea. Why on earth anyone would want to drink such a foul concoction is beyond the computer, so it's given up on that calculation and is just focusing on trying to actually make it right. <laughs> and just that obliviousness of Arthur Dent in that scene where he's getting the computer to do that and the sort of self-centered obliviousness of just like completely refusing to see where the fucking problem is from the cat. Just, they had a lovely parallel for me and yeah, I liked it for that reason. <laughs> but once again, Hitchhikers is the industry standard for anything to do with sci-fi and good sci-fi comedy. So Agreed. <laughs> I've never watched it, so I can't possibly comment. Um, so... You can watch it or read it or listen to it. There are many, many, many... Or go see the stage play. Which what? Or go see the stage play. True. There are many, many versions of Hitchhikers. Okay. All written by Douglas Adams and all fantastic. But... Okay. So, um, the aliens returning Glenn Miller. Who the fuck is Glenn Miller? Like, He's a musician. <laughs> He's like... He's known as like being one of the sort of jazz crooner style musicians who could also do a little bit of the singing. Like he was pretty much an all rounder and not just a jack of all trades, but almost a master of them at the time. Mm. He had his own band, the Glenn Miller Band. And then he disappeared. Didn't he? Didn't his plane crash? I'm uh, sorry, reached the end of my trivia knowledge on Glenn Miller. Please try again he, later. <laughs> I, I think, well, no, I know he vanished. They never found his body, but I think he, his plane disappeared. If memory serves, I'm just going to have a quick look and see if I can find the details. Okay. But that's why there's the suggestion that he was abducted by aliens. And now they're trying to return him. As Rimmer said, we don't want this mega. Okay, so we can't have silence here. So, no. well, Sorry, I, just searching. So Rimmer is the same as the cat, because he lists all the bad features, but it's pretty much him. Have you noticed that bit? Yeah. That was kind of interesting. But Rimmer doesn't see that in himself. He just talks about... I can't remember what he, who he says it about. You're totally egocentric. You flee at the first sign of trouble. You only look after number one. You're vain, you're selfish, you're narcissistic, and you're self-obsessed. The cat, basically. He's moaning about he the cat. He's <laughs> also just mentioned it himself. About, like, I'm surprised someone didn't point that out. I do like the the scene where Rimmer, uh, Rimmer and Crichton are looking around the ship and um, Rimmer decides to be in the middle. So they end up going around each other in a formation. So 
Crichton could be the front and the back to protect Rimmer. That's quite funny, going down a corridor. <laughs> yeah, in my experience, it's the sucker at the back. <laughs> I you don't get the front and the back at the same time. <laughs> I do love like the audio on the radio that we get while we're with uh, <laughs> and Cat, but I don't get the line. Now he understands. Now the guy knows what shirt tails. Now Mister Rimmer knows what shirt tails are for. What? I don't get that joke. Just to hide when you've shat yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, I do love the fact he goes, would you like me to cancel the order? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is possibly one of my favourite lines. It's beaten only by when Crichton realises that he can actually be changed by that machine. And it's a phrase that I use quite regularly. Dan will have heard me use probably a thousand times. Engage panic circuits. Panic circuits engaged. Ah! Yeah. When something's going wrong. <laughs> yeah. Too many times. Yeah, it's it is something that I quote quite regularly when things don't go according to plan. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, I do love that. Shall I cancel the order for <laughs> to call your mum? <laughs> hmm. I like the bit with Lister and the cat. It's just after that where Lister gets trapped. Do nothing. Like, oh, stay slinky. I'm on the case here. <laughs> Do nothing. Brings back to what we just said about Rimmer saying all those things to Cat and what the big difference is. Rimmer, at the end of the day, doesn't actually have any confidence in himself. And when it looks like he does, it's an act he's putting on. The Cat, at the end of the day, never has anything but confidence in himself until he's completely fucked up. In other words, it's a cat. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. In other words, Danny John Jules does a good w- role. But there is a rare thing. Um, when the cat says, I go get Crichton, it's the first time he says Crichton. He never says their names normally. The cat never mentions them by name. So that was kind of an interesting moment. Oh, yeah. The cat said, I'll go get Crichton. It's like, oh, wow. Like, okay. Nice. Um, the cat keeps making it worse, though. Remember, is so happy to see Lister the chicken for some reason. It's quite funny. Um, I do think that cat finding human Crichton, um, human Crichton is uglier is quite funny. Yeah, but Cat finds everybody ugly because he believes yeah, himself to be the physical perfection. Yeah, but he thinks that human uh, Crichton is uglier is quite funny. Yeah. I like the... Uh, what was the bit where they get Lister back from his ordeal and Cat's like, what was it like being a hamster? And he's like, it was better than being a chicken. Have you seen the size of an egg? Seen the size of a chicken's bum? <laughs> I was trying to say in chicken talk for god's sake get me an epidural <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, also um, we have to come to Crichton and the list of scene yeah, uh, Crichton becomes a human being uh, we're just going to go through this bit by bit this might take this <laughs> is my favourite scene of the whole show so far 
It's just full of great ones. So we start with fellow human. Obviously, Crichton's not used to being human, so um, Lister has to keep. I do love how he's going. Eyes don't have a zoom mode, and he's like, "Human eyes don't do that." Um, like move things closer. How do you make? How do you zoom in? You move it closer to your face. I mean, that's that had me laughing my ass off. Um, human nipples don't work. Um, no matter how hard I twiddle them, I just can't pick up Jazz FM. Yeah. Human nipples don't work like that, Crichton. Um, and then, like, he tried to put a recharging socket into his yeah. groin area. In his bum. Is his bum that he assumes is the, gro- is the groinal attachment, is the, okay. is the charging socket. <laughs> yeah. Still quite an, it's an anal joke, so boom, boom. Um, <laughs> Bum bum. And it's when there's this lovely moment where Crichton wants to talk about his penis and Lister's smirk is so schoolboy like <laughs> Willie's is the smirk. It's such a boyish little smirk. Um, um I've actually apparently in recording the scene with the double polaroids, um that's an actual penis. That Craig Charles did not know that that was an actual um, penis. So his reaction is very real. So he wasn't told that he was going to be given a picture of an erect member. No. No. <laughs> Fair enough. It <laughs> um, does get a brilliant reaction from him, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And then obviously the line of, is this normal? Is it normal? Is, is it normal? To, it's not normal to take a picture of it and show it to your mates. No. I think I still think my prefer. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. I still think I prefer the line. Um, what is it? It's the uh, no vacuum cleaner should give a human being a double Polaroid. Because yeah. <laughs> you know he was having a look at electrical magazine. I was just flicking through an electrical magazine. <laughs> I, I love the Crichton bit. Uh, it's hideous. It's the best thing they could come up with? Are you seriously telling me there were choices? And someone said, ah, there, that's it. That's the shape we're looking for. The last chicken in the shop look. Shakespeare, Edmonds, Einstein, Pete, and memories are made of these. One of these stashed in his slats. Go on. No, no, please go ahead. I was going to say, I quite like the scene where uh, Crichton goes to see the spare heads. Ah. Oh my god, right. I have Actually, we're talking about this last week. No. No, no, we were talking about the double power. No, no, we didn't we didn't mention this, but it was about like Crichton and how good hearted he was, but then how shit he was to Lister whenever Yes, that's true. Lister yeah. was a robot. And also how basically shit he is to these heads now in this scene now that he's like, Oh, but I'm a fucking human. But he is immediately guilty for what he did in that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He realises like immediately that he's acted like a complete Polaroid head. A point. So, um... <laughs> it's just, it's the Sparehead 3, the one that's gone bonkers and has a Brummy accent. It's just... <laughs> I would love to <laughs> see... I would love to see an episode where they stick that bummy one on his head. <laughs> Go on, sling your hook. 
I would love it if Crichton could change heads every episode. Oh. Completely different personality. <laughs> They're missing a trick there. Oh. Maybe, but I think I think it worked well just as a one-off joke. Just the idea that I, one of his heads had gone completely loopy. Just for another episode, I would just love to see the Brummy one, Spearhead number three, interact with the crew. That That's all I want now. That's why I'm never special. <laughs> Along with the women, the female Red Dwarf crew, that's what I would like in a future episode to revisit that. That's a great idea. <laughs> and Spearhead one? Yeah, middle fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Is it possible to clone people from dandruff? Theoretically, yeah. <laughs> I did, did you know that scene? You know when they're doing that. You know that the um, when they were rehearsed, that wasn't the joke about the cat sneezing all over the um, all over the what is what's the word? The scope. The scope. Wasn't in there, and Janny John Jules actually sneezed by accident during that scene in rehearsals. And they went, Oh, that's brilliant! It it was just added in, but it was an accident completely. Janny John Jules just happened to get the sniffles at that moment in a rehearsal, yeah, lovely. But yeah, um, like that, like I said, this is this was supposed to be the last episode of this series. And it was moved around because of the Gulf War, weirdly enough. Uh, why? Because the Gulf War started just as this series kicked off. And they felt that the um, the Wax Droids War episode, melt, is it Meltdown? Mm. And um, the Ace Rimmer episode, Dimension Jump, where he was kind of like a war hero, would be somehow contentious at that point. So they moved them to the end of the series hmm. and moved everything else up. Basically. Um, talking about hitch, um, hitchhiker, um, hitchhikers, this episode has several subtle references to it. DNA are the initials of Douglas Noel Adams. Mm-hmm. Is episode two of season four, which could be written as episode 4.2. Leave out the dot. <laughs> the, skeleton the skeleton with additional heads could be a reference to Zab Hard Beetlebrox. They found Beetlebrox. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Never thought of that, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so what I want to I've noticed in the background of the bunk scenes this year they've gone for like a, on the video screen an aquarium type feel on the right. screen, which is quite a nice touch I don't know why it's been in the last two episodes it's quite relaxing um, I do love Lister's secret shame was he went to a wine bar that made me laugh I don't know yeah that is <laughs> That is one of my favourite things. <coughs> the absolute shame of it all. <laughs> yeah, because it's like it could have been a different life if he had gone, if he had kept going. Peter was a class trader. <laughs> After pan kitchens, sleeping on futons, eating tapas. He didn't work. 
Could have started having relationships with people instead of going up. Got married. Got on the property ladder. God almighty, who knows where I could have ended. Next thing you know, I'm playing squash every Tuesday night with a bloke called Gerald. A lucky escape. A lucky escape. <laughs> so, let's talk about the Vindaloo Beast. Oh, God, yeah. So, Lister is Robocop. Basically, a mini Robocop. Basically, because this is 1991 when this was made. So, you know. Um, I do love how tiny he is. The reveal of how tiny he is is quite funny. Why not for me? Yeah, they give you a clue with the fact that he's got that high-pitched, squeaky voice to start it. Before you, you just see him, and he looks normal size because of the angle. But when he speaks, you know that he, he sounds like a squeak. Yeah. So that gives you an indication of what might be coming next. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I did find Cat really funny in this episode. I think it's the funniest he's been. It's just like the fact that he's like playing around with the buttons. It's just great interplay with all three of the other main cast this episode. You know, it's just because Cat's normally in the background a lot. This really brought him forward to the front of the episode quite a lot, and I think it's better for it. It's a nice, it's a nice change to have him. This is the first time he's really been at the front of an episode since Waiting for God. That's which it. Didn't work. Or is this one does? And the cat is just very good with pressing buttons and remembering the sequence. I wouldn't have been able to do that. So, yeah. He didn't remember the sequence. <laughs> no, but he managed to make it work and get things to do things. So that's still quite impressive. Um, we find out <laughs> that's been a year since Polymorph in terms of community. Like, it's been a year in the yep. show's history so it's been a, one year since with a great line how can it happen to the same guy twice smegging twice or something how can this how can the same smeg happen to the same guy twice yeah there we go and obviously the only i don't know if this is american we got a lot of american listeners so let me just explain something to you i don't know if this is a english thing i think it is Obviously, the only thing that can stop a la- uh, Vindaloo is lager. That's all British men know. Yes. Hmm. More specifically, if you're going to get really technical, Cobra is the one that's going to really save you if you go for a Vindaloo. Oh, good to know. Um, or, but they basically <laughs> do a George... Up the size of Lake Michigan. This stuff is really good. <laughs> I love the bit where he's like, oh, lovely. I see he's um, eating it afterwards after it's exploded. Yeah. <laughs> That's a dirty bastard. Um, this guy is pure class. <laughs> but I do think that there's a tribute to Jaws, though, because they stick the lager can in his mouth. Well, originally when, the, originally when they um, filmed it, he yeah. missed the shot, missed two or three times before it like camp, which is what all happens in Jaws. So yeah, yeah, it is. It is a nod to Jaws, uh, and the original filming was actually even closer. Yeah, more more explicitly a nod to Jaws. My wife definitely pointed that one out. 
She said, that's very Jaws. I was like, ah, oh, it's most probably a reference to Jaws. Oh, well, yeah. I, th- I think you'll find the, the guys who wrote Red Dwarf knew pretty much everything they were referencing. I mean, and, and Lister turning into a mini Robocop as well. Like, that's, that's good. Yeah, it's brilliant. Especially it's very it's, it's time, but it's funny as hell. Especially with his squeaky scouser voice. <laughs> Not that I'm laughing at Liverpillians. Right. So, so what do we generally think of this episode altogether? It's a damn good episode. Mm. Not, okay. Like, it's not the worst episode you could actually like. If you were just coming across randomly for your first time a Red Dwarf episode, it's not the worst one to happen at random. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm kind of torn with this series. There, are, whereas in previous series, I've kind of known what my list of best to worst was. This series is a lot harder to hit. I can tell you what my favourite one is because I think it's probably everybody's and it's the emergence of Ace Rimmer, which is just flipping hilarious in every respect. I can't wait. But you've got DNA, Justice, White Hole and Meltdown are all very much on a level for me. I like all of them for different reasons. And... I can't actually kind of order them of worst to best, mm. if that makes sense. They all they interchange depending on my mood because they've all got lines in them that make me wet myself with laughter. Mm. Like, I mean, obviously we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks, but playing pool <laughs> with planets is one of my favourite scenes ever. Yeah, <laughs> just stuff like that. But it's not my favourite episode. Yeah, but no, DNA is an unbelievably solid episode yeah. it's got lots of good jokes in it lots of things that make you laugh at not just chuckle but actually properly guffaw with laughter like the double polaroid thing is just it's such a simple joke but lister's reaction to it is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see the timing on it as well yeah the fact that he has the first polaroid and he's like trying to angle to see where and he's got the second one and initially the first one doesn't match up and he still can't tell and then, then the he sudden up with realization the <laughs> as it twists into a certain configuration is it <laughs> <laughs> exactly. according to Craig Charles he was trying because they didn't he was just reacting to it and he was actually yeah. trying to figure it out in real time. Yeah, which is brilliant. Love if that. that's if that's true, I absolutely love that. Oh no it's true. It's been it's on record. That's why I love it. It doesn't mean it's true. It could be revisionist after the fact, but we take it as read because Craig Charles has said it, yeah. But Craig Charles might just be an aberration just to to make it funnier. Yeah, it could be, but we've got no reason to disbelieve the man, so let's take it as true that that that's why the timing on it is so good, is because Craig Charles was actually doing it in real time, which is awesome. But what... I, I was thinking about this the other day and I thought slightly about it for season three, but season four is probably truer. I think that particularly in the case of Craig Charles and Danny John Jules, they'd become better actors by this point. You know what I mean? They both, Danny John Jules was a performer. He was a dancer. He was those kind of things, but not really a character actor. 
when he got the role in Red Dwarf, Chris Barry was a voiceover guy and an impressionist. The only sort of out-and-out actor was um, Robert Llewellyn. Yeah. And I think by the time you get to season four, all of them have actually become far better actors, so their timing is better, their hit rate is better. Yeah. Because they actually, they've, they've become better performers. So the writing is fantastic, but then you've also got an improved level of skill of the performers come together to make... I mean, I've, I've argued this before, seasons four, five, and six for me, are the best three seasons that Red Dwarf ever did. Mm. And so this is the beginning of like a real sort of golden period for this show. So we won't be able to bitch about it at all, and I'm looking forward to that. There, you, you'll always be able to find some fault. But, but not a lot. We're not, not a like, lot, I no. They're, brill- they're brilliant episodes. That's the good thing about this show, though. We never have to really find inspiration for like a good. Well, how how often do we actually really criticize this show? We've no, criticized one or two episodes for not being great, and even then, we found things that we love about those episodes as well. Yeah, that's it. That's why I love this show. Oh yeah, there there isn't a single thing. The only thing that I ever truly disliked, and we will get to it, is the recasting of Kachansky when they got to season seven. That would be a long season, but even yeah. then, there's a lot of good stuff oh, about it. But actually, you go back and watch it again now in. I remembered it being bad or not not as good. I've gone back yeah. and watched it without kind of like the the attitude of it being the first time I'd watched it. And actually, it's bloody funny. Yeah, they, they I've do. Watched a, it a season eight it's better than I remembered. Yes, absolutely. Season seven and that, eight are both amazing... far more worthy than I thought they were. Try to be classified as a woman in a tampon. We'll get to that in a couple of months. <laughs> like maybe next year. Wow, that's that probably amazing. is next year now, yeah. But yeah, we, we, sorry, we're getting well ahead of ourselves. It's just yeah. all of us are passionate about this show. I'm merely voicing a very particular opinion on it. By the end of this season, we would have been a quarter of the way through. Well, <gasps> third of the way through. Yeah, well, they, you know they've just announced they're doing another series. Yeah, well, we'll bring it. Uh, <laughs> if it's not out by the time we get there, we'll just come and bring it back when the season starts. For a bit. And at that point, I think, with, with that, we need to, you know, make the surrender flag out of the flock wallpaper and, and just... <laughs> definitely just okay, call so... it there for, for this one. <laughs> I right, think that's so a perfectly done. reasonable call, Mr. Rudge. So we're done, and um, so it's another it's another banger. Um, <laughs> that reminds me why I love this episode, this series so much. Yeah, um, totally. It's always. Yeah, and I still think it will be hard to top the double Polaroid scene for me in terms of single episode, single scene, best scene. For me, it's always the double Polaroid. <laughs> but I think the tampon scene with um, Crichton will be funnier, but I don't know. Anyway, it's goodbye for me. Bye for me. I can't keep up. I'm knackered. <laughs> <laughs> Smeg off you smegheads. <laughs>